doll. Hey, doll. I'm your host, Paula. And I'm your host, Cynthia. And we are Dolls Dolls and Doom. Doom. So, Paula, have you ever had, like, an adult sleepover? No. Okay. I don't think I have either. Not, like, an official one. But it sounds kind of fun to get a bunch of girls together and just, you know, hang out in our pajamas all night. Yeah. Today, I'm going to tell you the story of a sleepover gone very, very wrong. Today, I'm going to tell you the story of Tamla Horsford. So, Tamla was a 40-year-old mother married to her husband named Leander, and together they had five sons. Oh, my goodness. I thought I had a lot of sons. (laughs) Tamla lived with six boys, six men. And the youngest of these uh, sons was four, so she definitely had her hands full. Constantly busy. Constantly busy. It's a lot of dirty dishes. Oh, yes it is. So Tamla was actually born in St. Vincent in the Grenadines in 1978. And she lived there with her family until she eventually moved to the Bronx in 1989. And then later she met her husband in Florida. And he had a daughter from a previous relationship, so she also had a stepdaughter. And then the two of them went on to have the five sons together. By all accounts, Tamla was just this really cool, really awesome person. So you know how, you know, every time we tell somebody's story, we say the victim like lit up the room and they were the life of the party and everybody loved them. Well, this is a scenario where it seems like it really was true. She was the kind of person who, if you met her, you were immediately her friend. Okay. She didn't have to know you. She just made you comfortable. She was just a really great, kind, nice person. And so Tamla and Leander ended up moving to Georgia, and that is where our story takes place. Tamla's friends, John, and that's a female. It's spelt like Jean, but it's pronounced John. So it's John's birthday. And John invited a group of mom friends, most of whom she'd met through the local youth football league, over to her house for this adult sleepover. And this happened on November 3rd, 2018. So when Tamla arrived at the party, it was around 8.30 p.m. because she had stayed home and made dinner for her husband and her kids. Knowing she was leaving her husband alone with the four boys, or the five boys, I'm sorry. She wanted to make sure they were all set, you know, with dinner and bedtime. So when she arrived, she brought a bottle of tequila in a small overnight bag. And once she got to the party, she changed into white onesie pajamas that were covered in paw prints. Oh my god, that's adorable. I would totally wear those. When I read that, I thought, oh my gosh, that's so Paula. (laughs) Totally. So the purpose of this sleepover was so that the women could just drink and let loose and then not have to worry about driving home. That's brilliant. Very. So the party was originally meant to be all women, but Jean's boyfriend, Jose Barrera, decided to stick around along with one of the husbands of one of the party goers, and his name was Tom Smith. And these two guys had originally planned on going out but there was a football game playing and they decided to just hang out in the basement while the girls partied upstairs so there were a group of 12 people that are going to end up being witnesses for what happened here this night and this group ended up being called the Forsyth 12 and included the nine women who were at the party the two men who were at the party and one of the women's husband who would drop off and pick up his wife later And out of these 12, eight of these people were planning to spend the night, and Tamla was one of them. 
So while the women drank and socialized and watched the LSU-Alabama game upstairs, Jose and Tom watched football in John's finished basement. Now, Tamla was a smoker, and everyone else at the party said that she was the only smoker at the party. However, and we need to mark this, the next day, two different brands of cigarettes were going to be found at this house. So that doesn't make a lot of sense if there was only one smoker. No, it doesn't. Right. But because we do know she was a smoker, she regularly stepped out to the upstairs balcony in order to have a cigarette. Now, it is also reported that Tamla smoked marijuana that evening. But apparently, Jean had asked her to stop. Jean actually admitted later that she had teased Tamla, saying that she was a female Bob Marley. But she... (laughs) That's pretty funny. She told Tamla that her boyfriend, Jose, worked as a pretrial officer, and therefore he couldn't be around the marijuana. And I actually understand this, because when I first started eating Andy... The marijuana laws were a lot more strict. Now, yeah. people really don't care. But back then, you know, it was something that you had to watch out for. Yeah, it was a bigger deal. Yeah. I do remember being at a party and someone started smoking and we had to leave. If, you know, he were to have been caught being at a place where somebody was smoking weed, he could have gotten into a lot of trouble. So right. I kind of understand this being back back a few years ago. So even though this party was supposed to be just the women... Eventually, the men did join the party, and together the group started playing Cards Against Humanity. And throughout the night, partygoers were snapping photos and taking videos. And in these photos and videos, you can see everyone, including Tamla, smiling and looking really happy. So this sounds just like exactly what you and I would do. Absolutely. We were hanging out. Yeah. yeah. So throughout the night, Tamla had been drinking from that bottle of tequila that she brought. And she would later be found to have a significant blood alcohol level. But her friends would say that despite this, she didn't appear to be overly intoxicated at all throughout the night. So the women who had not planned on spending the night began to leave around 11.30 p.m. But those who decided they were staying started trickling off to bed as they got tired over the next couple of hours. According to police interviews of the partygoers, Tamla stayed awake after Jean and Jose headed to bed and that was around 1.30 a.m. The last person to see Tamla was Bridget Fuller, and she was the one who was picked up by her husband at 1.47 a.m. And in her statement, Bridget says that Tamla was eating a bowl of gumbo, it's what they'd served at the party, and had told her that she had planned to smoke a cigarette and then go head to bed. Over the next 10 minutes, the home security system would register the back door opening closing and then opening again for the last time at 1:57 a.m. but the door never registered as having closed. At around 8:45 the next morning, Madeline Lombardi, who is John's aunt who lived in a basement apartment at this house, headed into the kitchen to make her morning cup of coffee. And as she looked out the kitchen window, she saw something weird laying in the backyard. And as she looked closer, she realized it was the white dog print onesie. So as her brain was making sense of what she was seeing, she realized it was Tamla, face down in the grass, not moving. So she told police that she immediately said a prayer and then headed upstairs to find Jean, telling her that something appeared to be really wrong with her friend from the islands. That's how she referred to her. Oh my goodness. I know, that's interesting. 
Now, Forsyth County 911 got the call just before 9 a.m., and on the line, both Jean and Jose spoke. Jose said she's not moving one bit. She's not breathing. She's completely face down in the yard. She is stiff. And then Jean tells the dispatcher that she was drinking, and it looks like, I'm guessing, maybe she fell off the balcony. So first responders arrived, and Tamla was pronounced dead at the scene, and her body was sent for an autopsy. But even before the report came back, the Forsyth County Sheriff's Office began to work the theory that Tamla's death had been an accident, a fall from that second story outdoor deck where she'd been smoking. And the case remained open for almost four months until the Sheriff's Office made their official determination on February 20th, 2019, which was two weeks after the State of Georgia Medical Examiner provided their final report. So the sheriff's office pointed to the toxicology report, which tested positive for THC, and they looked at her blood alcohol content at 0.238, which is just shy of three times the legal limit to drive. And they noted that with a blood alcohol level, typically at this level, things like blackouts and loss of coordination and even vomiting could occur. And the sheriff's office determined that the use of marijuana and alcohol together could likely contribute to a fall. They also noted the door alarm log, showing the door opening, closing, and opening again. They noted that Jose had said he had found an unlit cigarette and a lighter up there on that upper deck. Together, the investigators found that this evidence suggested that Tamla went out for a cigarette sometime around 1.57 a.m., and accidentally fell to her death. So they closed the case, and the sheriff's department released the incident report and death investigation to the public. But it didn't take long at all for Tamla's family to decide that these documents didn't provide the answers they were looking for, and in fact, they actually raised a lot more questions. So remember, partygoers said that Tamla had definitely been drinking all night, but she never appeared to be overly intoxicated. She was never sloppy drunk. So how does someone who seems so in control suddenly become so intoxicated that she manages to fall over a four-foot railing and into the backyard? That's a good question. I know even when when I've had a few, Mm -hmm. I can walk and I'm not going to topple over. Have you ever had it like hit you really fast? Like, oh, yeah. You think you're fine, you sure. think you're fine, you are fine, and then all of a sudden, you're not fine. Right, you're trying to maintain. Right, because I did think of that. I, I thought, well, maybe when, you know, she was hanging out with everybody, you know, she was fine, and then mm-hmm. all of a sudden, it hit her really but hard. then again, she was having a big bowl of gumbo before her last cigarette. Oh, that's true. I would think that would soak up some of the alcohol that's and true. balance things out at least a little. I didn't think of that. Yeah, that's true. So another question that Tamla's family had was if she did fall from that second story balcony, some of these partygoers had only been asleep for less than a half hour. So how is it possible that no one heard her fall because this balcony was like right outside some of the bedroom windows? Oh, so they would have heard a big commotion. You would think so. So let me give you a little backstory on Forsyth County, Georgia. So Forsyth County is located about 40 miles northeast of Atlanta, and it's a primarily white suburban region in the Atlanta metropolitan area. The only incorporated city in the county is Cumming, which attracts families to its large lots, the annual country fair, and the Quate downtown. 
But Forsyth County has a deeply rooted history of animosity towards black people and was home to a, quote, racial cleansing, end quote, in 1912. So this happened when a black man was blamed for the rape of a white woman, and then another black man was blamed for the rape and beating of a different white woman who ended up dying from her injuries. So white mobs descended on local black homes and businesses. And in the end, the town's 1,098 black residents, who were approximately 10% of the population at the time, were driven out. And for decades, the county remained entirely white. And as recently as 1990, there were only 14 black residents in the entire county. Wow. Isn't that insane? That is. 1990. Oh my gosh. There is no question that if not now, Forsyth County did, at one time, for a very long time, have some deeply, deeply racist people living there. Oh, definitely. Cumming is a quintessential small southern town where everyone kind of knows everyone and people seemingly take care of their own. Let's take, for example, Sheriff Ron Freeman and the current Forsyth County Sheriff's Officer Deputy Coroner Chris Shelton. So in 2014, Shelton was forced to resign from a nearby police force after distributing photos of himself posing with racist mammy dolls. And just two years later, he appeared in Facebook photos for Ron Freeman, that's the sheriff, Ron Freeman's 2016 campaign for sheriff. After Freeman won, Shelton was appointed deputy coroner for Forsyth County. Then Shelton also works for Operation 21, which is a business owned by law enforcement and military veteran Brian DeBloy that aims to educate offenders on the law to help reduce recidivism. But according to this campaign registration information, Brian's wife, Anna, also served as the treasurer on Freeman's 2016 campaign. And according to social media posts, this couple is friends with some of the individuals who were at the party, including Stacy and Tom Smith. There are photos online of the Smiths and the Deblois boating out to dinner and just celebrating. I know that's a lot of names and you're like, huh? Everybody knows everybody. The yeah. sheriff is with the coroner and the party goers and the, you know, they're all friends. Some of them have done some questionable things like posing with racist dolls and they all are buddies. So could that muddy the waters? Absolutely. I would think so. Everybody's got everybody's back. You know, and I was thinking about this. I was listening to another podcast where they were talking about, like, if a police officer is being investigated, are his fellow officers going to do as good of an investigation looking into him as they would a stranger? Right. And the answer is, I don't know, sometimes yes, maybe, and sometimes no. But I started thinking, okay, well, like, if it was my job to investigate you for something, of course I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. Right. Because you know me. Of course. Of course I am. So right or wrong... I can see how this happens. So there are some advocates for reopening Tamla's case, and they have questioned whether these friendships among the higher-ups and the authorities may have contributed to the strange handling of the investigation. So in response to an inquiry to the Forsyth County Coroner's Office, Forsyth County Attorney Ken Jared told Rolling Stone Magazine that Shelton did not even work on Tamla's case. And furthermore, 
FCSO Public Information Officer Stacy Miller offered an unequivocal denial that any personal connections would have influenced the way this case was handled. She said there's no relationship between any of these people. They only knew each other in a limited professional capacity. And the FCSO investigates each case with the same tenacity, without bias, no matter who the victim, witnesses, or suspects are. She also noted that the Forsyth County Coroner's Office is an independent agency who is not affiliated with the Forsyth County Sheriff's Office. Okay, just to be the devil's advocate, of course she's going to say that. Of course. (laughs) Someone is always going to step forward and say that. It's her job to say that. Exactly. (laughs) All right, let's talk about the autopsy for a minute. According to the autopsy, Tamla was found to have blunt force trauma to her head, her neck, her torso, and her extremities, including abrasions to the face, four types of hemorrhages in the skull and brain, a dislocation of the right wrist, cuts on her arms and legs, and additionally, she suffered a broken neck and a laceration of the right ventricle of her heart. According to the incident report written by lead investigator Mike Christian, Tamla's body position was also examined at the scene. And, quote, most notable when Tamla was turned over was the fact she had come to rest face down, end quote. Her head had not been turned to one side or the other. That is strange. Like, literally, nose in the grass, face down. Yeah, that is weird. That's very weird. Tamla's legs were found extended behind her with both feet pointing to the right, and her right arm was found close to her body. Her left arm was found extended and bent at the elbow. Now, this is an unusual position to be found in, period. But it's definitely unusual if someone is conscious while falling, because it would be instinct to turn your head so you wouldn't land like flat on your face. Right. And you'd also put your arms up to try to protect the more vulnerable body parts. Right. So for her to land just like this is very odd. So, of course, Tamla's friends and family have doubted whether her injuries and resting position could be the result of this supposed fall from the balcony. Is it possible that some, if not most, of those injuries to her hands or to her arms could be defensive wounds, which would suggest that perhaps an altercation happened before either going over the balcony or possibly being positioned the way she was found in the backyard? Right, and in my opinion, blunt force trauma is not a reaction from an accidental fall. Unless there's something like on the way, like big rocks or something that she's bouncing off of. Right. See, I don't know I don't know enough about it, but it was a second story window, so you would expect that someone would be pretty banged up. But to have all of these scratches on your face, scratches on your hands, a, a fractured wrist, a fractured C spine, a tear in the heart. Now, I will say that that ventricle tear is something that is seen sometimes in really bad car accidents. Okay. Like a really strong blow to the chest can do something like that. So, mm-hmm. again, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a right. scientist, so I don't really know. But it does seem like she had some pretty bad injuries. Some people fall from a second story window and survive. Exactly. So for her to be as beat up as she was. Hers just sound very excessive. Yeah, it does. And it also doesn't make sense. Like, why scratches on your face? Why scratches on your arm? Mm-hmm. Would you expect to see scratches? Maybe if you fell on gravel. But this was just grass. Right. It's weird. And that's those. These are the questions that don't add, don't add up. Right. 
these things that just don't make sense. This is why we're, we're talking about this case. Exactly. So the incident report shows that Christian's initial theory was that Tamla had experienced a fall not from the deck, but from the ground. So when he first found her, he didn't think she'd fallen from the deck. He thought she tripped and fell due to some landscaping edging that matched scrapes found on her shins. So according to that same report, he only brought the balcony fall theory to Dr. Andrew Koopminers, who was the associate medical examiner with the Georgia Bureau of Investigations, after the medical examiner explained that the injuries that she had suffered could not have been caused by a ground level fall. And then in the final report, Coop Miners concluded that it appeared as though she may have fallen from the deck, ultimately ruling that her injuries were consistent with those received in a roughly second story fall. The person on scene, looking at everything, didn't even take into consideration that maybe she'd fallen from that balcony. He thought she'd fallen from the ground. Because, and I just think this is weird, the scrapes that we were just talking about matched edging that was on the ground. Another thing that her family had a big problem with was that there was the possibility that potential evidence could have been compromised or missed. So this scene was never secured. You know, it was ruled an accident pretty quickly. But even before that was official, they didn't really test evidence. They didn't take a lot of evidence. Jose told the investigators that he touched the body. He said he moved Tamla's leg while he was trying to figure out if she was still alive. He also said that he had found and moved that unlit cigarette and the lighter that he found on the balcony before he even saw the body, which that's a whole thing because their story changed quite a bit. So remember the aunt is the one who found Tamla initially. She saw her yes. initially. Well, there are some reports that she ran upstairs looking for Jean. And when she knocked on the door, she heard what sounded like water running from inside, like maybe somebody was taking a shower or something like that, but didn't get an answer. So she ran back down and then ran back up later and ended up getting Jean and Jose. Later, it is said that Jean and Jose were woken up by the ant. They were in a dead sleep. So now that's changed. At one point, there was water running. Later, she said that Jean and Jose were woken up out of a dead sleep when she ran up there. Right, so, so which one is it? Right. But if she ran up there and woke them up saying, hey, your friend's out here on the lawn, then why is Jose saying that he went out to the balcony and moved a cigarette and a lighter before he knew there was a body on the lawn? Right, it doesn't add up. Right, because that's what he says. He says he moved this before he found her body. Before he knew she was even out there on the lawn. He was just cleaning up. But he was also woken up from a dead sleep by the ant. It's just not adding up. So again, he admitted to having moved the unlit cigarette and the lighter. No fingerprints were taken. No evidence was ever fingerprinted. There was no DNA testing done. Because police right away just ruled this an accident. So zero investigation. Right. Now there were security cameras at the house. And in fact... Jose was very aware of these because when he was on the phone with 911, he actually said on that initial 911 call, we have cameras pointed to the balcony in the backyard and I will review them to see what happened. He told the 911 operator he would watch those cameras to see what happened. Nobody told him, please don't let us look at that. <laughs> right. What always happens in our cases where there's video footage, it's 
very rarely helpful. Right. <laughs> and, of course, in this scenario, the batteries were found to be dead. Of course. And the cameras were not recording. Now, during this autopsy, neither a sexual assault kit nor fingernail clippings were collected. In a call with Rolling Stone, GBI Public Affairs Director Nellie Miles explained that these steps are not routine in an autopsy, and they were not taken in this case because there was no indication of foul play. The GBI's Division of Forensic Science also declined to test the contents of the bottle of tequila that Tamla had brought and been drinking at the party. Now, Miles explained that it is standard policy not to test for illicit substances when the possible suspect is deceased, as there would be nobody to hold accountable if they were to find drugs present. So I guess because they didn't think anybody else was at fault, and maybe she had gotten drunk or gotten high or done something herself they like what does that have to do with anything right now remember according to the incident report deputy christian thought tamla originally died by tripping well not only did he write this in the incident report but he also told tamla's father that that was his theory and so obviously the entire family struggled to understand how tamla could have died from a ground level fall as i think most of us question that so later, Tamla's husband asked the investigators about this theory and the confusion it caused. An investigator said that it had been a mistake to share their initial theories with the family early on. They said, we probably created part of a mess here. We had an idea of what happened, which was absolutely wrong. What I should have done probably was keep my mouth shut and not spun theories. That's what Deputy Christian said. But even if we say, okay, she fell from the balcony, that still doesn't answer all of the questions. So there was one theory that maybe while she was standing on the balcony, Tamla got sick and decided to lean over the balcony to vomit. But one of the women who was at the party decided to test this theory herself. And she told the police, quote, I don't get it at all. I mean, I've been on that deck like a million times. I've looked and I've tried and I don't understand, end quote. This woman also went as far as to say that maybe the fact that Tamla didn't appear super intoxicated was because she was a seasoned drinker. And she said it would take an enormous amount of alcohol to really mess her up. So in February 2019, Jose Barrera, the parole officer and boyfriend of the homeowner, Jean, was fired after he used his position to illegally access Tamla's incident report and name record for Jean via the records management system database. So he used his position to look into this case, which he was a witness to. You're not allowed to do that. Right. So he was fired. So given the racist history of this county, the fact that Tamla was the only black woman at this party and she ended up dead under strange circumstances, advocates called for her case to be reopened. But Forsyth County disagreed. None of the questions surrounding Tamla's death nor the firing of Jose Barrera seemed like enough to convince the sheriff's office or the GBI to take a closer look at the case until the Black Lives Matter movement reignited interest in the story on social media. And in doing so, it caught the eye of several celebrities, including T.I., 50 Cent, Gabrielle Union, and Kim Kardashian. So influencers and individuals alike began to sign and share the change.org petition to reopen the investigation, resulting in more than 600,000 signatures so far. And in the midst of this, the Tampa lawyer who was representing Tamla's family, Ralph Fernandez, 
released a letter summarizing the findings of his own review of the evidence. He concluded that, quote, homicide is a strong possibility, end quote, pointing to the abrasions on Tamla's arm and hands that he believes could be defensive wounds. Fernandez also noted conflicting witness statements and issues with the initial investigation, including the unpreserved scene where Tamla's body was found. Now, one of the things that really stood out to Fernandez was the lack of autopsy photos, a practice he characterizes as unheard of and likely done at someone's direction. So I, of course, listened to the Morbid podcast on this case, and one of the hosts, Elena, is an autopsy technician, and she said it is absolutely insane to think that no photographs would be taken of an autopsy. She said it's literally how they support their autopsy findings by being able to back it up with photographic evidence. So the fact that it doesn't appear that there were photographs taken is insane. It is insane. Well, the sheriff's office and the GBI released statements to local news sources claiming that autopsy photos were taken and that they still stood behind their original conclusion. So in response, Fernandez released a second public statement on June 12th that included records of multiple failed attempts to secure these autopsy photos. And based on the emails Fernandez released between himself and the FCSO and the GBI, requests for these photographs appeared to have been ignored even when other requests were fulfilled. And in an email to Rolling Stone, the GBI confirmed that autopsy photos were taken and claimed that the holdup is related to a missing release form from Tamla's next of kin. However, Fernandez insists that this release was never even mentioned until after he went public. And to my knowledge, autopsy photographs have still not been provided to Fernandez. The GBI has said they are happy to do so when they are finally provided with the release. So while Fernandez has yet to see the photos, the FCSO did respond to mounting pressure. And on June 12th, just a few hours after Fernandez released his statement, addressed to the two agencies, the sheriff's office announced that they would formally ask the GBI to assume the case and open an independent investigation. So it's a huge win for Tamla's family and friends who really just want to see answers for this woman who they love so much. They say Tamla was such an amazing person and people gravitated to her energy and her warmth. Everywhere she lived, it was her home that became the house that all the neighbors and the neighbor's children congregated. She was just so well loved. So hopefully her family and friends will get some answers very soon. If you have any tips, you should call the Georgia Bureau of Investigation at 1-800-597-TIPS. That's 1-800-597-8477. I love that all the celebrities and influencers came together and using their voice for good and saying, let's investigate, let's get the answers. That's awesome. Do you have any theories or any thoughts on the case? I don't think it was an accidental fall. So listening to the Morbid podcast, I've mentioned a thousand times, I'm a huge fan of theirs. They absolutely think she was murdered. I don't know. I feel like it could have been a fall. I feel like sometimes when you're drinking, you are totally fine, and then it hits you out of nowhere. I think that the leaning over the balcony to vomit could have been possible. I just think all kinds of things could have happened. We know that her blood alcohol level was extremely high. We know that she smoked marijuana. You know, so she has a few different substances. I think it could have been an accident. 
do I think people acted strangely? Absolutely. I think they acted strangely. I don't think it makes a lot of sense that you're, you know, woken up, somebody's laying in your backyard, and you go around picking up cigarettes and lighters. That right. doesn't make sense. That's the first thing you do? Right. I think the fact that nobody else admitted to smoking, but yet there were two types of cigarettes found is exactly. interesting. I think it's interesting that the one black woman at the party is the person who fell. That's yep. interesting. And obviously, you know, an area that has some real race racist history. So I definitely think it's worth looking at. Mm-hmm. Am I convinced that there was foul play? I'm not convinced. But it doesn't hurt to look further. So I wish more things had been tested. Oh, absolutely. Because then we would know a lot more. Either way, I feel terrible for her family, whether it was foul play obviously or just a tragic accident i mean how awful really sad case so i have a mini time to kill okay it's a tv show review Ooh, okay have you heard of the thing about pam yes and i started watching it did you i did how far along are you i couldn't get through the first episode really why yeah it was i don't know maybe i need to give it another shot but i was expecting it to be like real true crime Mm -hmm. and it was funny it was cheesy it was artistic which i love all of those things you know i should have loved it and i just didn't i was bored but maybe i need to give it another shot because i should on paper love it well for those of you who have not seen it if you love dateline and keith morrison this is the show for you because he narrates it just like an episode of dateline and Every episode is like that. So if that annoyed you, then... It wasn't that. There was a sing-along in the middle of it. And, like, you know what I mean? Like, you know what I'm talking about? Like, that artistic flair. It was like Glee meets true crime. Okay, it wasn't that sing-songy. It was just that one part. Okay, well, maybe that's as far as I got. It may just be not my thing. But you love it, then. Did you watch the whole thing? I did. Okay. Finished it. Basically, we watched the first... Five episodes in one night and then the last oh, one wow. last night. So Okay. Yeah. All right. I'll give it another shot. I may have been distracted. Another show that I really, really liked, and it's not really true crime. It's more like mystery and weird, creepy ghost kind of thing, okay. is Shining Veil with Courtney Cox. Oh, okay. It was really interesting and more dark, and it was really nice to see her in more of a dark role because Friends in Cougar Town, she's all happy-go-lucky and this show she is not and it okay. for me it was just such a nice change and she did it really well the okay. acting was incredible all right i'll check that out and i think they're like 35 minute episodes so they're kind of short and it's really easy to go through it fast and there's only seven episodes total okay shining so. veil mm-hmm. i will definitely check that out all right so this is not true crime related but it's mine and my husband's favorite show right now have you watched yellowstone no oh my gosh did you watch game of thrones no okay Well, for all of you Game of Thrones fans who haven't yet watched Yellowstone, it reminds me of a modern-day Western Game of Thrones. Only it's not, I mean, it's not quite so gory. But it's just, it's like all about power and control. It's so good. It's Kevin Costner. And I was never a huge Kevin Costner fan. And after this, I'm a huge Kevin Costner fan. It's really good. Everything that you just said, the only thing I like is Kevin Costner. Oh. (laughs) If you like Kevin Costner, you will love this show. Okay. Because he is so good in it. Okay, so I will try What About Pam, or The Thing About Pam, and you try Yellowstone. Okay. And we'll <laughs> we'll discuss. I'm right. I have not met anybody who's tried it who hasn't liked it. It's really good. 
listeners, thanks for hanging in there with us. This year is crazy. So next month, May, my firstborn is graduating from high school and turning 18, which I don't know how that's possible. (laughs) Because I'm only 25 myself. (laughs) (laughs) So we're going to take next month off. We're actually taking the last week of April off and all of May off so that we can recharge, rejuvenate, enjoying some family time and revamping. And we will come back in June. But we want to let you know we're just taking a little break. So we'll see you in June. Can't wait to see you in June. I turn 40 in June. So more huge. More exciting things to come. There we go. (laughs) Thank you. Clearly I haven't had any coffee. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Be sure to check out our website for pictures and links corresponding to each episode at dollsanddoom.com. Follow us on social media. Leave a comment. And stay alive so you don't end up on the wrong side of the grass. Bye. Bye!